TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith, and Kim Morrison. Hi, this is Cindy O'Mara from Changing Habits, and welcome to the 2014 Transform Your Health webinar series. This series is free, and I will be interviewing leading experts speaking on health and well-being every month. Last month, I interviewed the wonderful Dr. Bruce Lipton. And in the coming months, I'll be interviewing Dr. Jack Cruz and Dr. Pam Peake and many other celebrated authors from around the, uh, the globe. The purpose of this webinar series is to educate and give you more information in order to empower you to take responsibility for you and your family's health. Tonight, I have on the line Dr. Natasha Campbell-McBride. Dr. Natasha is a medical doctor with two postgraduate degrees, a Master of Medical Science in Neurology and a Master of Medical Science in Human Nutrition. Dr. Natasha graduated as a medical doctor in Russia and after practicing for five years as a neurologist and three years as a neurosurgeon, she started a family and moved to the UK where she got her second postgraduate degree in human nutrition. She is well known for developing a concept of GAPS which she describes in her book, The Gut and Psychology Syndrome, which I've also hear, heard her call The Gut and Physiology Syndrome, uh, a natural treatment for autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, depression, and schizophrenia. It's now in its second edition, and I do believe she's bringing out another edition very soon. There are thousands of people around the world that follow the highly successful GAPS nutritional protocol to help themselves and their families to get well. So welcome, Dr. Natasha. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, look, it's just an absolute pr pleasure to have you. And I've, I've spoken about you and your book. Um, we had your book as um, Book of the Month a couple of months ago on our newsletter. Actually, I think it was last year. So everybody is familiar with your work and what you've been doing. We, we have a couple of um, nutritionists in my office that are actually doing your GAPS protocol. So... Um, we're, we're loving what you're um, teaching us and educating us about. But what I want to ask you is, it was after you began your family that you studied nutrition. Can you let us know um, why you went into the study of nutrition? Well, it's a personal reason, <clears throat> as it usually happens in um, our mainstream medicine. In order for a mainstream doctor to start looking into alternative medicine, um, something has to happen in their family, to their loved ones, or to themselves. That's usually the typical path. And uh, my child uh, was diagnosed with autism at the age of three, which threw me into a very steep learning curve, because once I realized that my own profession has nothing to offer my precious child, um, I was le learning everything and looking far and wide how to save him. <clears throat> and the result of that study and that research is that he is... Uh, fully recovered. He's at university now, doing very well and leading a, a normal life. So that, that was a, a, a huge, um, left, a, left a huge impression on me. And uh, as I was helping my own child, uh, I started working with many other families. And that's how the whole concept of gut and psychology syndrome evolved, and, uh, which followed with uh, writing my book in 2004. <clears throat> now, as you said, it's in its second edition. Gut and physiology syndrome is an extension to GAPS. Um, it abbreviates to the same thing as gut and psychology syndrome, GAPS, thankfully, in English language. And mm -hmm. that encompasses all the physical conditions that uh, are not necessarily linked with the brain. As I started working with children with autism and dyslexia and dyspraxia and um, hyperactivity and uh, obsessive-compulsive disorder and many, many other learning disabilities and mental disorders. Then I started working with adults with mental illness, and uh, I realized that all of these people are also physically very ill. Majority of them suffered from allergies. Many of them had asthma. Many of them had very uh, serious skin problems and joint problems and many other physical disorders. And as I started working with those patients, patients with those physical disorders started coming in uh, without mental illness. So because the first book is already written, Gut in Psychology Syndrome, covering mental illness and anything, uh, any group of symptoms that the brain can produce, um, I'm still writing the second book called Gut and Physiology Syndrome, which will cover the rest of the body. And that will focus on autoimmune illness, 
on uh, joint problems, on chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and ME and asthma and allergies and various other physical conditions which stem from the same problem, from the gut. Um, what I've realized in my personal journey and in my clinical work that what Hippocrates, the father of our modern medicine, said all those thousands of years ago, that all diseases begin in the gut. Uh, I've realized that he was absolutely correct. And the more our modern science now is studying the subject, the more we're realizing just how correct he was. Indeed, every chronic disease in the body begins in the digestive system. Our gut is the place where the roots of our health are sitting. And if those roots are not healthy, then uh, the rest of the body cannot be healthy. What we've realized now, and the recent research demonstrated, that about 90% of human body, 90% of all cells and all genetic material in your body is your gut flora, that mass of microbes which live inside your digestive system, 90%. So you are just 10%, just a shell, a habitat, providing a, a, a place for this mass of microbes to live. And this mass of microbes is a highly organized microbial world. It's, you know, forget the Star Wars and forget the, the other fantasies, the Lord of the Rings and so on. This is far more complex and far more fascinating. And it has trillions of different varieties of bacteria and viruses and fungi and protozoa and larger creatures and uh, emitter-long worms and all sorts of things living in there together. And in a healthy person, all these creatures live in harmony with each other. They all feed each other and control each other and support each other. But if we humans start interfering in that world by taking antibiotics, for example, which will kill off uh, a certain proportion of that microbial world, and as a result introduce imbalance. Those microbes that these antibiotics have taken out of that world used to control other microbes and used to feed other microbes and support the whole balanced ecosystem in there. And if you've taken them out, we introduce imbalance. Other microbes suddenly start proliferating and overgrowing, uh, different microbes which used to be fed by these uh, killed microbes die out and as a result the whole ecosystem goes wrong and I go to farming conferences and uh, very often the farmers show this slide where the roots of a plant are sitting in the soil and it's, it's, it's a bush with smaller and smaller and smaller roots going into the soil like an like a, a, a upside down bush in the soil but if you look at the structure of human digestive system under electronic microscope, it looks exactly the same. Mm -hmm. Our digestive surface has villi, which are things like long protrusions, and every villus has microvilli on it, which are tiny little hairs, which are also very long, and they also spread out. And all of these little hairs and all these little roots, which look very much like roots of the plants, are sitting in their own soil in the 90% of you, in that gut flora. Because the natural soil, the soils around the world, are made largely out of microbes. This is a microbial community, extremely complex, extremely sophisticated. That's what our modern agriculture doesn't understand. They keep poisoning and destroying it. But in our gut, it is the same. It is the soil around the roots of your health. And if the soil is sick, if it is unbalanced and unhealthy, then the roots of your health cannot be nourished properly and protected properly. As a result, the rest of your body cannot function well. It cannot work properly. It's not nourished properly and it is not protected properly. And the first thing that happens to people when their gut flora gets abnormal, when it gets damaged, they are not digesting and absorbing their food properly, so the person develops multiple nutritional deficiencies. And there are many systems and organs in your body which are extremely hungry. They need to be fed all the time, every second of your existence. Your brain in particular is extremely hu uh, hungry organ. It requires uh, large amounts of nutrition all the time. It sponges up approximately 40 to 45% of all nutrients floating in your blood. And the large percent of those nutrients have to be protein and fat for the brain. It's, uh, people generally have been uh, informed that all you need for the brain is sugar. Sugar is just a fuel, a high-octane fuel. 
But the brain renews itself all the time, and it manufactures huge amounts of chemicals, neurotransmitters, and uh, enzymes, and various other chemicals. And it, the cells in the brain are constantly dying out and being replaced by newly born cells. And these newly born baby cells need building materials to be made from. And these building materials are proteins and fats, about 50-50%. So the brain needs to be fed all the time and fed with high-quality protein and high-quality fat, which come largely out of animal products, meat, fish, eggs, and dairy. These are the most appropriate foods for the brain. When we come to the immune system, the same appears in there. The bone marrow is extremely fatty organ. It requires the same kind of nourishment as the brain requires. And it's a very busy organ. It's constantly manufacturing all your blood cells and all your immune cells. And if the bone marrow is not properly fed, then uh, you start developing problems with your blood and with your immune system. And the rest of the immunity, the same thing happens. When we come to uh, kidneys and to the liver and to the heart and to pretty much every organ in the body, they all need to be fed properly. And if a person has damaged gut flora after a course of, good course of antibiotics, or um, they had amalgams put into their teeth, so they're swallowing mercury all the time, and that mercury goes into your gut flora and damages um, the balance in there, causing abnormal gut flora. Or if the person has been uh, taking in uh, industrial chemicals in the processed foods and any other toxic substance that we swallow will have an effect on the gut flora of the person. And once that's abnormal, we are not digesting and absorbing our food properly, so we're developing multiple nutritional deficiencies. At the same time, the pathogenic bacteria and other microbes that overgrow in the gut start digesting food in their own way and converting it into hundreds and hundreds of very toxic substances, poisonous. These substances absorb into the bloodstream, get distributed around the body, and wherever they get to, they cause trouble, they cause disease in a person. When we come to autism, that is the number one condition that I talk about in my book. Uh, what happens to these children? Vast majority of these children are born with normal brain. These are normal children. But what happens in these babies, they, they acquire abnormal gut flora from their parents right from day one of their life. So that abnormal gut flora converts the food that comes along in the child into a whole river of toxicity. These toxins get into the brain of the child and clog it up with toxicity. So the brain cannot function properly. How do babies learn? If you observe little babies, small children, they listen to everybody, everything. They stare at everybody. They touch everything. They take everything into their mouth to taste it and to use their tactile sensitivity in the mouth. What are they doing? They are collecting sensory information from the environment through their ears, through the hearing, through the sight, through the tactile sensitivity, taste buds, they're collecting information. And then those sensory organs pass that information to the brain to be processed. And uh, that's how the child learns that this is mommy and this is daddy. I trust them. Uh, these are other children. I copy them. I do what they do. This is a toy. I play with this toy like this. I don't line it up, and I don't destroy it, and I don't throw it, and that's how I deal with food, and that's how I deal with other things in the environment. But trouble is, if the child's brain is clogged with toxicity, that brain cannot process the information coming from sensory organs properly. The information turns into a noise, into a mush in the child's brain, and from that noise, the child can't decipher anything useful. As a result, an autistic child doesn't learn that this is mommy and daddy. And autistic, autistic children are known to pick up a hand of any stranger on the street and walk away with mommy running behind because mommy doesn't mean any more than any other adult around. They don't know how to copy other people. They don't know what to do with toys, what to do with uh, other uh, objects in the environment. They don't know how to behave. They don't know how to play because the brain is clogged with toxicity. So in order to help a child like that, we need to clean up their gut. We need to remove the pathogenic flora from there. We need to straighten it up with beneficial flora. We need to heal and seal the gut lining in the child. And that stops that river of toxicity coming from the gut to the brain. And once that level of toxicity drops in the brain, 
the brain cleans itself up. Our brains have wonderful ability to clean itself up. <clears throat> it cleans itself up and it starts functioning. And from that moment on, what the child suddenly wakes up and starts learning properly and normally, acquiring all the normal skills. The only catch here is that the period of time that the child missed in its development, when the child was in that toxic fog, needs to be uh, caught up quite quickly. And that's where the children, autistic children, need intensive help. And it depends how long that period was. If we started GAPS nutritional protocol with a two-year-old child, they can recover in half a year. In half a year, they'll pick up and develop themselves. But if we're dealing with a four, five, six, eight, nine, ten-year-old child, they have missed out quite a, a large chunk of their development. And children learn certain skills at a certain window of opportunity, at a certain age. Uh, once that window of opportunity is missed, it's very difficult for them to catch up on their own. They need intensive educational help from the parents and from uh, anybody else who works with them in order for the child to catch up with other children of the same age who don't have autism, who are typically developing. And those children are not standing still. They're developing at a very rapid pace. So an autistic child has to run. They have to develop very, very fast have to work on it very, very intensively in order to catch up. So the younger the child is when we start the GAPS nutritional protocol, the quicker they recover and the more fully they recover. The older the child is, obviously, the more catching up that child has to do, the more damage has been done to the normal brain of the child by all the toxicity bombarding it for years coming out of the gut, um, the more difficult it is and the longer it takes and the more effort it takes to reverse the whole situation. But autism is curable, fully curable. There are thousands of children around the world now who have recovered fully, who have implemented this protocol with a proper educational um, approach. When the level of toxicity and mixture of toxins come into the brain is slightly different, um, then the child may not become autistic, but may become hyperactive, or dyslexic, or dyspraxic, or obsessional compulsive, or oppositional defiant, or another mixture of symptoms which may not fit into any diagnostic box. In fact, about 80% of GAPS children do not fit into any diagnostic box because they may have a little bit of autism and a few symptoms from ADHD and a few symptoms of dyslexia and a few symptoms of dyspraxia and some other unique symptoms to this particular child. So the pediatricians can't fit them into any diagnostic box. So these are the children with whom they procrastinate, and uh, they don't give the diagnosis immediately. They tell the parents, bring the child for observation six months later, and then again six months later, and then again six months later. And a very valuable time is wasted while the child could have been helped. Because as I say, the younger the child is, when we start the GAPS nutritional protocol, the quicker the child recovers and the more fully the child recovers, because there's less to catch up and less damage done. So I implore parents not to wait for the diagnostic label. Start changing the child's diet. Start working on it before. Don't, don't wait for your diagnostic label because diagnosis is irrelevant. It's not important at all. Um, diagnostic labels are simply descriptive. They do not include in themselves what causes the condition and what to do about it. So receiving diagnosis is not going to help your child in any possible way. Um, so don't wait for it. Just, just get mm -hmm. on with the program. When these children grow up, unless uh, a GAPS nutritional protocol has been implemented, they become GAPS adults. And the first thing that often happens to them is um, they become addictive personalities. They become uh, youngsters who fall for addictions. Why is that? Because their neurotransmitter balance is abnormal. You know, the brain uses a whole, uh, about 200 different chemicals, which are called neurotransmitters. These are hormone-like chemicals such as serotonin and dopamine and adrenaline and many, many other chemicals which the body produces for the brain to use. And now our science has discovered that almost 100% of serotonin actually is manufactured in the gut, in the gut wall. And now we're discovering that a large percent of dopamine is manufactured in the gut and many other neurotransmitters are manufactured in the gut and then transported to the brain for the brain to use. But if the child has abnormal gut flora and their digestive system is in a poor state as a result, they can't manufacture these neurotransmitters. They constantly have low levels of these neurotransmitters. 
And as a result, they are constantly slightly depressed, these children, because depression happens when a person doesn't have enough serotonin, enough dopamine, and enough other neurotransmitters for the brain to use. So these children went through the childhood being slightly depressed, not getting enough neurotransmitters. I believe that we are born to be happy. How do we achieve that state of exhilaration, happiness, being on top of the world? By our brain receiving a fountain of neurotransmitters to hit a certain ceiling. That's when we, on top of the world, that's when we experience the joy of life. These children never able to hit that ceiling. They're never able to reach that state. Morphine and heroin and cannabis and sniffing glue and reckless dangerous behaviors and other addictive activities, they allow the brain to bridge that gap for a few minutes. They allow this child to hit that ceiling just for a few minutes. And when that happens, the child suddenly realizes, or the youngster, the teenager suddenly realizes, that's what life is about. And they want it again, and they want more. And that's how these things become addictive for them. So in order to uh, pull any addict, drug addict, or any other addict out of that vicious cycle, we need to work on the gut. We need to put them on the GAPS nutritional protocol to normalize their neurotransmitter production and to stop the flow of toxins that is coming to the brain and causing lots of other symptoms in the person. Other mental illnesses that uh, are generally diagnosed in adults, such as obsessive-compulsive disorder and bipolar disorder, manic depressive, and depression, endogenous depression, and schizophrenia, and many other strange labels and uh, psychiatric um, diagnosis, I'm absolutely convinced that they are all GAPS conditions. All of them need to be treated the same way, regardless of the label, regardless of what diagnosis you were given. Now we come into one major condition uh, that the brain produces, and that is epilepsy. When the level of toxicity builds up in the brain too high, and uh, the brain perceives that amount of toxins coming in as very harmful, very damaging, the brain can send one electric discharge through and clean the whole lot out. And that's an epileptic seizure. So an epileptic seizure is a cleansing procedure for the brain. It's a safety valve for the brain which is uh, in danger. It's a very unfortunate um, way of cleansing itself, but that's the way it is. And the last thing these patients need is another toxin in the form of anti-epileptic medication. What these patients need is they need to be put on a GAPS nutritional protocol. Large percent, more than 70% of children, uh, childhood epilepsy is diagnosed as idiopathic. It's a fancy word that mainstream medicine uses to basically say we have no idea what causes it. These are GAPS children. And instead of being put on medication, they should be put on GAPS nutritional protocol from the beginning. I have a very large community now of uh, epileptic children around the world who are recovering beautifully on GAPS nutritional protocol. And uh, in, 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 uh, more than 50% of them, seizures disappear altogether, depending on the severity of seizures. In some children, they don't disappear completely, but they become very mild. They become absences rather than grand mal seizures. Um, sort of activity that children can live with rather than being on medication. Mm. And uh, in adults, I, would, I also believe that large percent of them are GAPS patients, and epilepsy in adults is a GAPS condition as well apart from a fairly small group of adults who have a scar on the brain. They had a car accident where there was a trauma to the brain, or they had a, a, a vascular malformation, an aneurysm burst, for example, or they had a stroke, or they had a tumor removed, or something like that that left a scar on the tissue of the brain, and a scar like that can generate epileptic activity. That's a small group of people. But even in those people, I find that the seizures become less frequent and milder, and in some people, they even disappear. So it is worth doing the GAPS nutritional protocol even with that group of people. So this is gut and psychology syndrome I have covered. Um, but gut and physiology syndrome, we're talking about the whole group of autoimmune disease. Um, I'll continue talking about autoimmunity. Yes, definitely, because, you, you know, one of the things that um, we're finding in Australia at the moment especially is type 1 diabetes is growing at a phenomenal rate. Um, a friend of mine's son was just diagnosed at the age of 10. Now, this is a child that has never taken any medications, 
um, has doesn't you know has done everything right as as the mother had thought. And the only thing that did happen is that she did have a C-section, and her belief is, well, maybe you know I, I've done you know something happened there, but I just you know it, it's growing, and um, I'd love you to address autoimmunity. Absolutely. Let's start with diabetes type one, seeing that you brought it brought it up. It is a gaps condition, and I have uh, a small group of children in my clinic so far, but many of my practitioners around the world are reporting very good results with gaps uh, with type 1 children, type mm-hmm. 1 diabetes children. What happens to these children? They have a very damaged gut wall. That abnormal gut flora that the child develops, usually the child had antibiotics in their lives. The child probably has a quiet abnormal gut flora from the mom from the start of their life. I'll talk about it in a minute. Mm-hmm. And this abnormal gut flora developing in the, in, in the digestive tract of the child damage the integrity of the gut wall. Big holes develop in the gut wall. The gut wall becomes like a sieve. As a result, food doesn't get the chance to be digested properly before it absorbs. It absorbs in an improperly digested state, in lumps and uh, pieces. And when the immune system finds these lumps in the bloodstream, it doesn't recognize them as food. It looks at them and says, you're not food. I don't recognize you as food. And it attacks them. It develops antibodies against these uh, bits and pieces of food. We on our beautiful planet have evolved, according to our science, some 4 billion years ago from the same primordial soup, from the same one blob of jelly of some kind. So all life on our planet shares similar proteins. Proteins in our bodies, proteins in the food that we eat are very similar. So once your immune system has developed an antibody to a lump of protein that hasn't been digested properly, it finds a similar kind of protein in your own body and attacks it. And that's how autoimmunity develops. That's the basic mechanism of autoimmune disease. And our science now, the more we study autoimmunity, the more we realize that every chronic disease has an autoimmune component. Pretty much every chronic disease. Our science has discovered best part of 200 autoimmune conditions so far. And that list is growing. So uh, and uh, what happens in diabetes type 1? These improperly digested proteins trigger production of certain antibodies which have an affinity for proteins that's sitting in your pancreas. So they find those proteins in the pancreas of the child and attack them as well and destroy them. And these proteins happen to be in the cells which produce insulin in the pancreas. So the child can't produce insulin. But pancreas is a wonderful organ. It has a wonderful ability to regenerate. In fact, it regenerates and renews itself all the time. The working cells in the pancreas constantly die out and get replaced by newly born baby cells. So as soon as that attack on the pancreas stops, the pancreas regenerates and very quickly and starts producing its own insulin again. So all we have to do is stop the attack. And in order to stop that attack, we need to heal and seal the gut lining. We need to close up all those holes in the lining of the digestive tract of the child so the food gets the chance to be digested properly before it absorbs. And that's what GAPS Nutritional Protocol does very effectively. It has a wonderful ability to heal and seal the gut lining. And the GAPS Nutritional Protocol, the, the, the large part of it is the diet, the GAPS diet. The GAPS diet is structured in three stages. The first stage is called introduction, GAPS introduction diet. The second is GAPS full diet. And the third one is the happy stage of coming off the GAPS diet. You don't have to be on GAPS diet all your life. Once your gut has healed and your gut floor is normalized, you can come off it. That's the beauty of the GAPS diet. But for, in order to really heal and seal the gut lining, it is important for the child to go through the introduction diet. If for whatever reason the family is not organized to do the introduction diet or mom's working and cannot cook a lot or uh, whatever other individual situation might be, start with the full GAPS diet first. It's easier to implement. The list of foods allowed in there are much wider. Um, there will be lots of improvements in the, in the state of the child. But then work on uh, organizing your life in such a way that you can put the child through the introduction diet for a few months. It takes a few months at least. 
The younger the child is, I find that with four, five, six-year-old nippers who were just diagnosed with diabetes type 1, and if they haven't been on uh, insulin injections long yet, we can reverse diabetes in a matter of few weeks. They can be off insulin, these children. But if, uh, obviously, the longer the child has been on injections, the longer the disease progressed in the, in the child, the longer it takes to recover. I have adults who have uh, had diabetes type 1 most of their life. They also recover. They may still have to use uh, insulin injections once a week, once in two weeks, but that is um, much easier to cope with than uh, three or four injections a day, certainly. Uh, for this Definitely. Right. Definitely. Do you know so it, is, it is a curable condition, diabetes type 1. Well, I do know that the, this young man is still um, producing insulin and um, the dietician said to the mother that he was to con have white bread and um, then there was some issue about, well, most di type 1 diabetics also get um, celiac disease. And, and she just looked at the dietitian and said, but why am I going to give him white bread if it, you know, it's going to have celiac disease? So, you know, at least she was thinking um, and realising that, geez, if that, I go to that far, how much further am I going to go? What other autoimmune diseases? And, and do you see this? If people are having autoimmune diseases, they, they get another one and another one? Absolutely. Because mm. once the immune system is in that state, it doesn't produce just one antibody. It goes on producing different varieties of antibodies. And once the gut lining is damaged and porous and leaky like that, you absorb all your proteins undigested. So you are reacting to all proteins you consume, whether they come from uh, animal foods or whether they come from plant matter, this protein. You are misdigesting all of your food. And you'll continue doing that, and your immune system will continue mounting more and more attacks and the whole situation will continue deteriorating until you've closed that gate, you've closed those holes in the gut lining. How, do, the we know, how do we know when we've closed those gates? What, what, what signals do we get? How, how does this happen? The symptoms disappear. Yeah. The symptoms start disappearing. Because apart from the autoimmunity, uh, what happens in these people, and that's the first thing that happens when the food absorbs undigested like that, they develop, multiple, um, they develop multiple allergies and intolerances to foods. Mm. And these are not uh, classical allergies, such as IgE-mediated allergies, like peanut allergy, where you can um, go into anaphylactic shock and can die. No, no. That is why our mainstream medicine didn't recognize these allergies for a long time and still resistant to recognize them. They are mediated by other immunoglobulins in the blood, Ig, IgMs and IgGs and, and other. And the reaction can be uh, immediate or it can be delayed two hours later, two days later, two weeks later. So on any given day, you have no idea what you're reacting to. You might be reacting to a piece of bread you've eaten just now, to a banana you've eaten yesterday, to a piece of lamb you've eaten two days ago, to uh, broccoli you've eaten two weeks ago, and all of these reactions overlap on top of each other, and the person has no idea what they're reacting to. And the reaction can manifest as any kind of symptom in the body. It can manifest as a headache or a lapse in memory or a drop in blood sugar level, drop in energy, or pain in your joints or a skin rash or an asthma attack or a heart palpitation, anything, any kind of symptom, depending on what kind of food came in and uh, what kind of reaction the immune system launched against that undigested food. And food allergies and reactions are an absolute epidemic in the Western world. Mm -hmm. you, you stop any person on the street and ask, do you have any allergy to food? And you will find that in more than 60, 70% of people, they will say, yes, I'm reacting to this and that and, and the other. That means the gut lining is damaged. And the only way to heal and remove those reactions is to heal and seal the gut lining, focus on doing that. Our mainstream medicine doesn't understand the whole concept uh, GAPS is only just starting to um, penetrate into that realm. I have quite a few doctors, medical doctors, that I have trained in my GAPS nutritional protocol. So they are certified GAPS practitioners now, and they are listed on my website, gaps.me, uh, by country, by state. Uh, so if you want to work with a doctor like that, then you can find them on my website. And, uh, uh, but majority of practitioners there are uh, alternative health practitioners homeopaths and osteopaths and nutritionists and other alternative practitioners 
who have become GAPS certified practitioners. But our mainstream system uh, doesn't understand diet. Doctors are not trained in nutrition. They get about half a day lecture in the whole of six, seven years of training, um, about half a day lecture on nutrition. So doctors have no idea how food yeah. works, what food does in the body. They do not understand food. They do not understand uh, diet. No, they don't. It's so funny, Natasha. I, I met a, a first-year intern um, just a couple of weeks ago, beautiful young lady, just done her six years at university, and we were just chatting, and I said to her, how much nutrition did you do in your training? And she said, she kind of put her eyes in the air and she went, um, I think I did a little bit in gastro in first year. Mm-hmm. And I don't and remember I'm, any of it. <laughs> and she doesn't. She doesn't remember. And, but, and I just, I like went, with all this knowledge, like I listen to you, I listen to so many people, I read you guys, like the, the you know, bestsellers, um, best-selling authors like Grain Brain and Wheat Belly and, and you in the gaps and Death by Food Pyramid. Like it's all out there. Why, you know, why isn't our institutions changing? Well, because the mainstream system is ruled and uh, owned by pharmaceutical industry and other large multi-billion corporations. They have uh, put, put medical system into their pocket a, a long time ago. They are funding the medical institutions and research and um, every aspect of it. And publications and peer-reviewed journals are absolutely owned and ruled by them. And dietetic associations all over the world were specifically targeted by these um, powers. And they're extremely powerful, extremely wealthy. So dietetic, uh, dietitians are only taught in a way that would profit and benefit pharmaceutical industry and food industry and other of these powerful industries. So your dietitians have been trained in a certain way. Um, so um, basically, God bless them, they, they, they're trying to do their, their, their best um, from the point of view that, of their understanding. But they do not have an understanding of gut flora and gut lining and what really works in the human body in order to recover. I know that all people with children with, um, and adults with diabetes are given a certain dietary advice, which goes completely against uh, my advice and uh, GAPS nutritional protocol. And it is up to the patient to what they choose and what position they take. But I'm just telling you that GAPS nutritional protocol will heal and seal the gut lining and lay the foundation for curing the condition, removing it permanently and completely and effectively and quickly, where uh, the mainstream advice is basically to maintain the condition and um, help you to cope with it uh, and allow you to live as many years as you can manage um, being ill. It will maintain the illness, basically. Mm. When we talk about other autoimmune conditions, and I say there are best part of 200, conditions, mm. and we're talking about multiple sclerosis and amyotrophic lateral sclerosis and rheumatoid arthritis and lupus and asthma <clears throat> and nephropathy and chronic cystitis and psoriasis and uh, many, many, many other uh, chronic diseases uh, which now we know have an autoimmune component. Uh, people just, their gut lining is damaged. They're absorbing their food undigested and the immune system is trying to deal with the whole situation the best way it can. You know, our mainstream system has a, a, an attitude that the immune system in these patients is kind of gone on a rampage and it's wrong. And we have to beat it down with steroids and we have to suppress it. The immune system is never wrong. Nature knows what it's doing and your body knows what it's doing. It's your own body that heals you, not the doctor. So your own body does it in its own uh, way because it does everything thoroughly starting from very basic blocks and building the whole thing up properly and thoroughly. So uh, the reactions that the immune system produces are actually part of the solution to the problem rather than the problem itself. But our, our mainstream system gives people steroids and other drugs which beat the immune system down, suppresses the immune system so it cannot deal with the whole situation. It cannot heal the person properly and, and uh, get rid of the condition. When that's allowed to happen, then uh, the person can recover fully, though be uncomfortable for, for a period of time, because it's the immune system and its activity that produces the symptoms, the uncomfortable symptoms of inflammation and pain and discomfort and limitation in the joints and so on. The first thing that happens in vast majority, 
I, I, I'm guessing convinced that in pretty much 100% of patients with autoimmunity, and that's the uh, collagen disorders. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are held together by uh, a tissue which is called connective tissue. It's a network of connective uh, elastic fibers which hold all the cells together. These are our fascias and our ligaments and other tissues that hold us together. Without this tissue, we probably would be just a puddle on the floor. And vast majority of this tissue is made out of collagen, collagen and elastin, two very ubiquitous proteins in the body. Trouble is, many toxins that are produced by pathogenic flora in the gut like to attach themselves to uh, uh, collagen and to elastin, to these two proteins, because these two proteins have a lot of sulfur um, receptacles on them, uh, compounds which have molecules of sulfur in it. And uh, sulfur is a detoxifying mineral. It binds toxins. So many of these toxins get attached to molecules of collagen and molecules of elastin. And once that happens, the three-dimensional structure of that molecule changes. Our immune system goes around the body constantly surveying the body, checking that everything's fine and everything's ticking on nicely. When they find these changed molecules, look at them and say, you're not mine. I don't recognize you. You must be some virus. You must be some attacker getting in and attacks them. So the immune system launches attack on your connective tissue that is holding your body together. And as a result, the person, many, many things happen. The first thing happens that the muscle tone goes down and the density of the tissues become less. So when you touch the arms and legs of these children and adults, they haven't got the density, they're loose. Mm. And the joints become loose. They're not supported and held properly, the joints. These are children and adults who are uh, double-jointed. When they straighten up their arm, the elbow sort of opens up. up. Uh, when they straighten up their legs, the knees are pointing backwards. They can bend their fingers all the way back to touch the, uh, the wrist. Um, and, and these are the children who become clumsy and hurt themselves all the time and stumble all the time and trip all the time uh, and um, cause bruises and, and have a lot of traumas and the same with adults and uh, they just their tissues are not supported and they're prone to hernias they develop hernias in, in various places and organ prolapse that happens in adults a lot and uh, that lays the ground for uh, rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis and vast majority of people who have back pain who suffer from lumbago regularly and neck pain and back pain. That's what's happening in the spine because the spine is a series of hundreds and hundreds of little joints all connected with um, elastin and collagen because every joint has a capsule made out of these molecules and has lots of ligaments and muscles around. And when they're under attack, the whole spine becomes weak and uh, loose and it doesn't support the whole body, doesn't support. So the, uh, the discs collapse and nerves get trapped and people get pain and people get all sorts of problems in that area. So that's very, very common. That's, that's kind of a background disorder in majority of people with multiple sclerosis. Toxic metals such as mercury and lead and arsenic and other toxic metals that we have and aluminium that we have filled our environment with, our seas are full of them now, our seafood is full of mercury and other toxic things. They have an affinity for fatty tissues. They get stored in the high-fat tissues in the body. So when they absorb, they target your brain, which is a very high-fat tissue, the rest of the nervous system, and they target the bone marrow because it's a very high-fat tissue as well in the body. And as a result, these are the people who then develop multiple sclerosis, and amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, and neuropathies, and various other neurological disorders, and leukemia, and other trouble with uh, bone marrow, cancer of the bone marrow, and other trouble with the bone marrow, and uh, immune system abnormalities, collapse of the immune system. Um, These are uh, uh, usually people who accumulated large amounts of toxic metals from the environment. Quite often these people have amalgam fillings in their teeth as well, and that's a major source of um, toxic metals. Uh, and if these people particularly like eating sushi and like eating tuna and like eating other large carnivorous fish, they'll be accumulating all these things. 
So that is a huge culprit in, in autoimmunity. And of course, the immune system joins in there, trying to clean these metals out and attacking the tissues as a result. Mm. Yes, apart from autoimmunity, uh, we have a whole group of disorders where the person cannot produce energy. The energy production collapses in the body. These are people who have fatigue. And this is chronic fatigue syndrome and ME, myalgic encephalomyelitis and fibromyalgia. That's another epidemic. I'm sure somebody, everybody knows somebody who's got a disorder like that now. Um, what happens in these people, their mitochondria get shut down. Mitochondria are tiny little organelles inside every cell, and they're our energy factories. They're very effective at producing energy. But the trouble is that when they produce energy, they also produce a byproduct, which are free radicals. These are oxygen species, which are very damaging. And our cells are well adapted to that. Uh, byproduct that processes very quickly by antioxidants that the cell produces, lipoic acid, and it uses vitamin C and it uses um, uh, uh, glutathione and other things there. Trouble is, uh, the only time when the cell doesn't want to use mitochondria and it switches them off is when the cell wants to divide. Because in order to divide, the cell needs to unwrap its chromosomes. It's precious genetic material which is sitting inside the nucleus and is nicely protected from all these free radicals. In order to divide uh, that genetic material, the cell has to unwrap it. It needs to remove all that protection. So in order to remove protection, it shuts down the mitochondria and quickly removes the protection from the nucleus, divides, produces a baby, builds new protection around two different nuclei now, of the two nuclei, and then switches the mitochondria back on. And the whole thing takes only a few minutes. And in those few minutes, the cell uses a very archaic and quite inefficient way of producing energy, which is done inside the plasma of the cell, not in mitochondria. Mm. In these people with chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia and so on, they are so toxic, these people. They've accumulated such large amounts of toxicity. And this toxicity is killing the cells in their bodies, in, in their bodies destroying them, making them uh, disabled. So the body tries to give birth to many, many, many more baby cells to replace those disabled and uh, dead cells. So the body is broody constantly. It's constantly trying to produce babies, constantly trying to divide itself. Uh, when that's happening, the mitochondria have to be shut down. So the cells basically send a command or, or a request to the brain um, describing the situation, and the brain gives a central command to the whole of the body to shut down mitochondria and to transfer the energy production into the cytoplasm of the cells of the body. So the person cannot produce enough energy as a result. They can't get out of bed, and they haven't got any energy to work or to study or to do anything productive. You know, they just have enough energy to, to live, to survive, mm -hmm. to be alive, and, and that's about it. And that process will go on until um, the toxicity is removed, until the flow of toxins coming into the body stops, and uh, the body has a chance to actually clean those toxins out. Uh, once that happens and the damage on the cell stops, the body stops being broody, it uh, downscales the production of baby cells, and the brain takes off that command, it, it gives the command to the body to switch the mitochondria on. I have hundreds of patients like that who go on the GAPS nutritional protocol which heals and seals the gut lining, and the vast majority of anything toxic in your body comes out of the gut. That is the major source of toxicity in a human body. And once that flow of toxicity stops, that river of toxins stops, the body catches up, it cleans itself up, it removes toxins, and the broodiness stops, that gets, gets scaled down, and mitochondria gets switched on again. The person gets the energy back. They can start working and they can start looking after their family and cooking and uh, having a life, basically. So that's that group of disorders. But then there are many... Sorry, sorry? do you find, Natasha, that, um, like, different people heal at different times? Like, you were saying that if we, we catch a child when they're young and we, we heal them, they seem to heal so much faster. What about someone, you know, from 20 or a 40-year-old? Like, do you notice that it doesn't matter what the age is, it depends on how toxic they are, that the healing happens? 
Absolutely. It's, it's, the, the length of the treatment is predetermined by the level of damage and toxicity, how sick the person is, how severe the gaps um, situation is. And the second, it depends on how long the person has been ill, certainly. Mm. Children generally recover quicker than adults do because they simply accumulated less toxicity. And uh, adults recover uh, as quickly as, um, as they can remove the toxins from the body and they can heal their gut lining. And that depends on the severity of the condition. If a person has a less severe situation, such as irritable bowel syndrome with some joint pains and perhaps headaches, migraines, and a bit of depression, they can recover in a matter of year. A year, a little bit more, they'll be, they'll be well and they'll do well. If a person has had asthma for 20 years and is on a bouquet of um, medications or a person has schizophrenia or a person has some other uh, chronic disorder, multiple sclerosis, it will take years to recover. Mm-hmm. Rheumatoid arthritis takes a long time. It takes, um, on average, four or five years of an effort, 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 effort of working on the GAPS nutritional protocol to fully recover. I have uh, patients in my clinic who have had rheumatoid arthritis from childhood, who have been diagnosed first when they were two or three years old, and they recover fully, and they start working, and they start using their hands and their legs and doing sport and working. Uh, So all of these conditions you can recover from, but depending on how severe the situation is and how much toxicity you've accumulated, it may take much longer. It may take years. On average... Somebody has calculated that for every year of being ill, you need at least a month of healing to recover. But that's a minimum. That's at least a a month. Yeah, wow. One of the things that I I love about your protocol is that you're all about real foods. You don't have potions and lotions and motions. (laughs) It's just about real foods. And my favorites are your bone broths and your fermented foods. Would you like to expand on them? Absolutely. As I said, Mother Nature designed our human bodies to be perfect. These are are extremely intelligent creations. We have programmed within our bodies every mechanism to heal us, to repair us, and to rejuvenate our own bodies. It's not the doctor who heals you. It's your own body that does that work. All we have to do is work with your body, trust it, and just be patient. Just be patient. Give it room. Your body will start healing you once you start the GAPS nutritional protocol. It is your body who will decide what is the priority number one, what's the priority number two, and so on, where it wants to start the healing process. And that might not be what you think is the priority. (laughs) So if you have rheumatoid arthritis and your joints are all very, very painful, and you started the GAPS nutritional protocol, you're seeing improvements, other symptoms are disappearing, other things are disappearing, but the pain in the joints is still there, don't be disheartened. Don't think that it's not working. Your body has to clear lots and lots of other obstacles first before it gets down to the pain. Just trust the process, trust your body. Your body will heal you. Your body is a creation of nature, so we only work with nature. We trust the nature. I do not trust modern science. Many people, you know, I have all sorts of people in conferences ask me a question, well, where are the references? Where are the Mm. double-blind, placebo-correct to prove what you're saying to us? (laughs) Mm. I don't trust modern science. Our scientists tinkered at the laboratories only for a few decades and uh, discovered the new little bits and pieces, uh, and they think that they're cleverer than nature. Nature took billions of years to design your body. Every little chemical process, every little cell, every little tissue has been worked out and sought out so thoroughly, so carefully, so with such love and such care. And nature has infinitely more knowledge and wisdom and knows how to heal you and how to heal your body and how to heal itself. So I trust in nature. That is why I work with natural things. That is why diet, GAPS diet, is the major, major part of the GAPS nutritional protocol. We work with the foods which are produced by nature, and we look for grass-fed meats and uh, chickens on pasture, the best quality eggs from natural chickens, which are fed natural food, not commercial pellets, and who are on grass and in the sunlight, 
So we create as natural an environment for the animal as possible to produce food from that animal which is natural, which has the maximum uh, nutritional capability to heal our bodies. An animal that has been on an organic pasture and has been fed, hasn't been fed grain or any commercial uh, feed with genetically modified soy in it, the meat and milk from that animal will be extremely different, very, very different from a commercial animal. And the fat will be very, very different. The same with eggs, the same with milk. I have a whole chapter in my book about milk. The milk that you get in supermarkets is not worth drinking. It's not worth buying. It is a completely different substance to what Mother Nature intended the milk to be. First of all, it comes from animals which have been genetically bred in laboratories. These are Frankensteins. These are not real cows. Those great big white and black beasts called host infusions who produce five times more milk than a normal cow is able to produce. And their milk is completely different to the natural milk. You want natural breeds of cows, which the mother nature has designed over thousands of years. You want those cows such as uh, Jersey's and Guernsey's and Asian cow and African cow. There are some good varieties of French cow, uh, which are natural. Um, in every part of the world, there are natural um, animals. And this cow has to be on a organic pasture, and that has to be not commercial pasture, seeded with two, three varieties of grass and sprayed with fertilizer every year. That's not a real pasture. No, the cow needs to be on a pasture which has hundreds of herbs and grasses on it, which a natural real meadow should have. And every grass and every flower and every variety of plant on there contributes to the health of the cow and the health of the milk. And the cow needs to be in the sunlight. It has to be in the sunshine all the time. And grass is the only thing that should be fed to this cow. Those commercial cows, they cannot, they're such abnormal animals, they cannot survive on the, on the grass. If you put host infusions on grass, they will start breaking down their own bone and muscle to feed the milking gland. They're such abnormal animals. They've got completely abnormal hormonal balance there. So they have to be fed genetically modified soy and um, other chemical foods and uh, antibiotics all the time and steroids and all sorts of things. So the milk that I recommend for people to buy is to find local organic farms which can provide you with organic milk from real cows, natural cows, non-pasture, and that milk needs to be raw, unpasteurized. That is absolutely essential because milk of any animal, including human milk, is alive. It is an alive white blood of the female with the red blood cells removed. It's full of alive and active immune cells and other alive and active blood cells of the animal. And it's full of active enzymes and active vitamins and minerals and other substances. And all the proteins and carbohydrates and fats are there in a certain uh, chemical structure which is alive and active. And the whole thing works together. If you pasteurize it, you kill it. You denature the proteins, you denature carbohydrates, you denature fats, you kill all the enzymes, you kill all the probiotic bacteria in there. It's a completely different product. And uh, that is why the, uh, a lot of people now are allergic to milk and they cannot digest milk. And they're lactose intolerant, that's a sugar in milk. And raw milk has got an enzyme in it which digests lactose for you. Your digestive system doesn't have to digest the lactose. Many lactose intolerant people, when they switch to raw milk, find that they are not lactose intolerant at all. They can tolerate it, and it does them only good because that enzyme is intact. Pasteurization destroys that enzyme. So your digestive system now has to work very hard breaking down the lactose and all those denatured proteins and, and the rest of it in the milk. So um, the only milk that I recommend for GAPS people is that kind of milk, raw, organic, from green, real pasture from real cows. Um, for people who, for whatever reason, are, are allergic to cow milk and simply cannot tolerate even that kind of milk, go to goat's milk because goats have not been commercialized to the same degree as cows. So the, the breeds of goats we have are natural breeds. And it's much easier to digest. And many people find that they can't tolerate goat's milk. Sheep milk, ewe's milk, and in different parts of the world, people use donkey milk and deer milk and camel milk. So whatever animal that has not been uh, commercialized and that is still natural, you will find that you can digest that kind of milk. The milk we ferment 
in, a, uh, in GAPS nutritional protocol because um, lactose is a perfect food for pathogenic microbes in the gut. So GAPS people cannot drink milk as it is. We have to ferment it. Fermentation process removes lactose completely. These are truly lactose-free products. When we make homemade yogurt and homemade kefir and homemade cheese and cottage cheese and sour cream, uh, these things are truly lactose-free. And another thing that fermentation does for us, it pre-digests the food. It pre-digests the proteins and the fats and the carbohydrates and other substances in the milk. So your digestive system has no work to do, pretty much. This pre-digested product comes in and it's soothing and healing and it restores your normal gut flora and it heals the gut lining and it feeds your body very nicely. So only fermented dairy products are um, allowed in the GAPS nutritional protocol until the healing is completed. Once it's completed, the person can start drinking milk um, and, and they'll fine with that. Other foods we ferment as well, we ferment vegetables. In the GAPS nutritional protocol, we, we ferment fish. We do some fermented fish uh, recipes. You can ferment beans later on and lentils uh, because fermentation process pre-digests the food. It breaks it apart. It makes it more digestible for the human digestive system, easier to digest, and it also releases a lot of nutrients which become available for us to absorb. For example, uh, a helping of fermented cabbage called sauerkraut hmm. has 20 times more bioavailable hmm. vitamin C in it than a helping of fresh cabbage of the same size. Because in a fresh cabbage, vitamin C is locked in the cellular structure, and our human digestive system can't extract it can't cleave it off to absorb. It just goes right through you and, and leaves your body. But when we make sauerkraut, the bacteria in the fermentation process releases all that vitamin C out of the cellular structure. So when, when, when we eat the um, fermented cabbage, we absorb all of that vitamin C. So it's a wonderful source of vitamin C for people. In fact, um, James Cook, who discovered Australia, um, he had no scurvy on, this, on his ships because People knew that um, sauerkraut, fermented cabbage, prevents blood, bleeding gums. People didn't know about vitamin C in those days. Mm -hmm. It hasn't been discovered yet. But he had uh, dozens of barrels, large barrels of sauerkraut on his ships. Mm -hmm. That is why he could travel such long distances and his sailors were fine. They, they had no scurvy in those days. Mm -hmm. Because sauerkraut is very rich in vitamin C. It's really... And I just fermentation process in every food. Yeah, I just love how you use them, Natasha, all your fermented foods. And you, and I realize now, you know, they're pre-digested, so of course our, our body's going to handle them better, especially when, you know, we've got a gut that is um, allowing undigested foods in. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. The gut needs healing. Many people um, are not flushed with money. Many majority of GAPS people are not wealthy people. And buying commercial probiotics, these are the beneficial bacteria in a capsule or a sachet, is expensive. Mm. In order to restore your gut flora, you do need to introduce those microbes into the digestive system. Um, it can be very expensive. Fermented foods are very cheap. They just, uh, you know, it, it's the cost of buying a cabbage, a bit of salt, and a jar, a glass mm. jar. That's all your cost. But you're producing a, a valuable food which will be teeming with alive and active probiotic bacteria, not only that, they are sitting on the particles of food in there. They're hiding. They've got their own little habitats and caves and homes in there. So they go, uh, they're protected as a result from the stomach acid and other influences of the digestive system. And they would go all right through your digestive system, all right to the end of it, disseminating these bacteria, settling them in, in your digestive system. So they can kill pathogens, they can remove them, and they can replace them. They can restore the normal gut flora. You have to introduce this beneficial bacteria into your digestive system in order to heal the gut. It's absolutely essential. It's not optional. And uh, some people go for commercial probiotics, taking capsules and supplements. But uh, regardless of that, you still need to use the fermented foods. But I have uh, many, many people who do not use any commercial probiotics. They just ferment their own foods at home and use those. And that's quite enough. It works without any commercial preparations. So... The yeah, diet is the most important are coming part, back. Yeah. The traditions yes. are coming back and that's you know, that's what we're loving to see. Um, you know, Natasha, we um have gone over our hour. I you know, I think I've asked you three questions out of the, the twenty five that I 
that I had prepared. <laughs> like, I could listen, you know, to you forever, but I want I want people to realise that um, there is hope, that um, it is using real foods, that you know what we need to do is 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 just realise that we've got to step out of what's happening at the moment and out of the medical world and back into the evolutionary world and back into the nutrition world. So I'm going to um, let everybody know um, how to get to you. But actually, before I, I do, are you, you're coming to Australia, aren't you? Am I right? No, I haven't been planning to. Oh, okay. I've been to Australia many times now. <laughs> well, I tell you what, long I, will, way. <laughs> I will find out when and I will make sure that everybody knows when, when you are coming. But okay. for the, in the meantime, they can get everything that they want from you um, in your books. Uh, I love Put Your Heart in Your Mouth. I, I wanted to talk about that book, but we didn't have time. And, of course, I love your GAPS. And if everybody uh, wants to go to gaps.me, that's G-A-P-S dot M-E. So both Natasha's books are on there. There's lots of information. These are my what I call my library keepers. I'm constantly referring to them. I learn so much from them. Um, and you can also come to Changing Habits Healthy Living Club. We've got um, Jordan Pye, who's the the blogger um, on the club, who's going through the protocol at the moment. So it's worth really listening to what she's been saying. She's a nutritionist. Um, so she, she's not um, certified as a GAPS practitioner. All she is is she's doing the GAPS program. We also have resources on the Changing Habits website that will help people find the, the foods that Natasha has been talking about, that raw milk, the grass-fed meats. So we, we have a complete resource for that, so people will be able to, to find that. So make sure you go to changinghabits.com.au, go to the resource section, and you'll find these foods. And next month, we will be tackling food addiction. Um, but I feel like we've, we've already done it with um, Dr. Natasha. She's really talked about why these things are happening. But Dr. Pam Peake will be talking about food addiction. Make sure you register for next month's call. We will make sure we send reminders out to you about Dr. Peake. Um, she is the author of The Hunger Fix, um, which is a three-stage detox and recovery plan for overeating and food addiction. Uh, Dr. Peake has been on Dr. Oz, featured in many magazines, um, been a guest on numerous summits and radio shows, um, and her work on food addiction will make you think and act differently. I, look, I really would love to see um, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride on Dr. Oz at least get this information out to the public and then maybe people will start to think about it. But thank you to everyone from around the world who has contributed to this call and been on the line to hear the incredible wisdom of Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride. And thank you for taking the time out of your day and night to improve your knowledge on health and well-being in order to change your life and that of your families, friends, community, state and country. We all have a part to play in this change, so be part of the ripple effect that is changing the world. Bye for now. Happy Changing Habits, everybody. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.